Well, I'm sorry, Nick. I think mm. the time has come now for you to go. What, to resign? Yes, I think so. I think it's inevitable. Not if I sack you first, it isn't. <laughs> Good point. Touché. <laughs> we, better, we better stick it out then for another term in office. <laughs> So, ooh, 205, 205 of the Mid-Faith Crisis <laughs> podcast. Uh, I am currently in post and intend to remain this way, uh, <laughs> right up until my, my resignation speech. Uh, my name's Nick Page, and uh, I'm joined by Joe Davis. Hello. <laughs> hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, we're recording this on a day things have happened. Yes. Outside Downing Street. Which we will talk about, I think, in a minute. But... <laughs> I don't see how we can not talk about it, really. But mm, what a strange thing. Um, well, let's get let look first. Let's deal with nicer things. Yes. How are you? Good. I'm. I'm still grateful for good things in life, and you know, difficult funerals. I've had a few that have been tough recently. Hey, I tell you what. Hmm. I am reading Brian McLaren's book, which is called Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for Doubters, the Disappointed and the Disillusioned. And I'm not going to give it a review yet because I haven't finished it. In fact, I've only just started it. But already I'm enjoying it. We've got an interview with him because he's a lovely man. Um, he has kindly said he will do another interview with us. That's good. You did a good job last time. So well, thank you. It, you know, some people I think are just easy to interview, and he is mm. because he's mm. he's just great value, and he's a lovely person. So yeah, that's great. Um, more than that, I still seem to be quite a few friends down with COVID. I don't know how we've managed oh, to yeah. escape it yet, but I'm I'm figuring my. My days are numbered as regards catching it. So. Have you not had it at all? No, not yet. No. No, we haven't. I mean, it's, I think we're one of these sort of Novid people, aren't we? <laughs> Novid, is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah. Are you? No- they say, are you Novid? And we haven't had it. Well, we never tested positive, at least. No. I, I, I don't know. But uh, they say about 20%, one in five mm. haven't. Yeah, well, well, there we go. That's us. And, um, oh, went to see Elvis. Bless him. I thought he was dead. No, no, no. He's alive and well and in cinemas now. Oh, wow. And, uh, well, I absolutely loved it. It's It divides opinion. Not everyone loves it. I thought it was extraordinary. Yeah. Wow. Austin Butler, uh, you, you believe he's Elvis. It's just remarkable. And also very sad. And also weird to see um, Tom Hanks playing someone a bit nasty. I mean, how yeah. can that be right? That's no, wrong. that can't be right. This world's gone crazy. It should be made illegal. This be. world has gone mad, which we will touch on. Do you think they'll do a film <laughs> where they get all the kind of musician impersonators together, where they have the guy who did Freddie Mercury... It'd be great. ...and, like, Taron Egerton, who did Elton John. And yeah. You could do a supergroup film, couldn't you? It'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> because the th- but I think what particularly impressed me about Austin Butler is how easy it would have been for him to look like some... You know, half-baked Elvis impersonator, which yeah. would have just been embarrassing. Um, but he wasn't that at all. He was quite electrifying. And he makes you realise how brilliant Elvis was, actually, in fairness. Mm. It was great. It was it, it was truly terrific stuff. Anyway, that, so there you are. There's the summary. How are you? 
Uh, pretty good, yes. Good. Uh, it was uh, Ensham Carnival at the weekend. Oh, was it? Uh, big, big day. And uh, that was nice because we haven't had a carnival for two years. So that's that's good. Great. So what does that consist? I imagine it's like a float. Well, do you know, sadly it is a bit now. It used to be a big parade. It used to be lo- loads of floats. And then they insisted, I think what I'm saying, they insisted everybody, the council insisted everybody had to have public liability insurance in case, you know, I don't know, their float went, mad or something and ran into the and so of course nobody had that so all the floats disappeared what we do have now we have a thing called the shirt race the what <laughs> well okay let me explain so the Ensham shirt race is an institution uh, teams of two uh race around the village uh, but you push the other one in a self in a homemade vehicle of some kind right like a you know and and these are like mini floats they're made up to be there were quite a few top gun ones this year for example okay. jets okay. and people dressed as pilots running around so you push each other ahead you see okay. around the village and um you you stop at every pub and one of the people has to drink a pint and then they get in the 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 you know wheelchair why haven't i been up. invited to enter this with you <laughs> it's 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 <laughs> It's quite remarkable because it's it's um you know they were and and it's not really a race because people seem to wear stuff purposely designed to slow them down like the, the one of the Top Gun uh, things was so huge the jet it had to be disassembled to get round a corner at one point so, and there were two guys racing dressed in inflatable koala suits so you know that was quite fun. Uh, so it was nice. To and see for that. those who aren't in Britain at the moment, this is very typically eccentric British activity. Yes. And <laughs> and nobody knows why it's called the shirt race. That's oh, okay. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, <laughs> what else is happening? Um, oh, hey, it's Bill's birthday. Oh, bless him. My my dog's birthday today. Love Bill. How old? Yeah, fourteen. Wow. Mm, pretty old boy. He's mm. doing all right. Uh, Tour de France has started, loving that as ever. Yeah. And oh, the cricket! Oh, the cricket! Even I'm loving the cricket. So, so talking about the world going mad. Yes. You know, I I said to Claire the other day. I said, well, you know, because England cricket team have suddenly started attacking everything yes. and just winning. <laughs> and it's been quite remarkable. So unusual. And, um, and I said to Claire, that, you know, they've got to calm down. They're playing India in the last game. They've got to calm down. They're never going to carry on winning at this rate, like playing this way. They've got to sort of rein yeah, it exactly. in a bit. Yeah, get all defensive. They're going to lose this game. They've got to, they've got to, they've got to rein it in. Anyway, they romped ahead and won in the fourth innings with the yeah. largest total they'd ever made to win in the fourth. And I realised I know nothing. I know nothing <laughs> about cricket. <laughs> I've only I've watched it for you know forty years, but I know nothing quite clearly. <laughs> the world it has madness. gone mad. The world has gone mad, and let's talk about the latest madness then. <laughs> yes. Let's. So we're recording this on the day that uh, Boris has resigned. Sort of. I think he was the only one left in the cabinet, though, wasn't it? Everybody yeah, else seemed much. to have. Yeah. <laughs> But he's staying there for three months. Who knows well, what he'll get up to? <laughs> I went to the office this morning and somebody said that eight people had resigned before they got to work. <laughs> yeah. Between 7.30 and arriving at work. Did you, have you seen his speech yet? Yeah. It was like a masterclass in denial. Was there? It's not, not a single apology. It was like, well, this is the will of the 
Tory party. <laughs> it's not, yes. you know, there was yes. no sort of contrition. There was no sort of, I'm sorry, I did bring this on myself. I have lied quite a lot of times. In fact, lying got me out of my last two jobs and it looks like it's got me out of this one as well. <laughs> Instead, it was like, he just looked annoyed, not contrite. He just said, no, I won the election with the biggest mandate. And all yeah, this month, exactly. Blah, blah, blah. But what, but what's worrying mm. is that suddenly integrity is important. That's telling yeah, the truth. It sort of <laughs> happened. Over, it's like it's like, it's like a, a light switched on suddenly, well, it's where exactly. everyone could see that lying's quite a bad thing. <laughs> but it didn't matter last week. <laughs> no, I was thinking this suddenly. Everybody's integrity alarm has gone off. <laughs> <laughs> but. What triggered it? What level of smoke set off their integrity alarm? You know, because... Yes, exactly. Because it's not like... I mean, I don't know how many people outside... You know, people listening overseas might not know about British politics, but there has been quite a lot of... What should we say? Sort of... Sleaze. Yeah, and falsehoods and, you know, all this stuff over the last... Well, I think we're allowed to say lies, aren't we? I mean, we can't be prosecuted, can we? It seems to be that, you know, and, and... and so all of a sudden people are going, no, I've had enough. It's too much. I've, I've, I must stand up. My integrity means everything to me. But it didn't mean that much to you two weeks ago. No, exactly. Wait, how many lies does it take to trigger your integrity alarm? Yes, Is that's like a seven, really good point. Seven, six, five. You know, what, what, what's the settings that you have it on? <laughs> it's bizarre. I think if we've learned anything from Boris, it's that you can stick around a long time if you lie. So... Maybe we should try lying more. Well, we we sometimes said the podcast is interesting and helpful. Exactly. (laughs) You're listening to the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast, the world's most popular podcast. (laughs) That's the thing, isn't it? Popularity is the thing. So what's changed is not the lies. I, I, you know, it's not the lies. It's not the approach. It's not the fact that no. nobody in government seemed to have a clue no. what they were doing at any given point. It's no. the fact that actually he wasn't popular anymore. Exactly. And that's what suddenly made everybody, you know, yeah, dislike. That's what him. set all the uh, alarms off. <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Anyway. Well, on that note. Hmm. I thought it might be good to just sort of... Because if people are feeling anxious or angry or annoyed or, as most of us Mm. are, just slightly bewildered, not by faith, but by politics and everything. We have, again, we haven't even mentioned Roe versus Wade and what's going on in America. I know they've got their own issues with that. And, Mm. oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, I wondered whether it might be good just to talk about how we can have a bit of hope um mm. in this crazy world is that a good thing should we do that here yes why not let's do it that's that, i think we could all do with that at the moment well here's my take on it all i think the news gives us such a skewy view of the world and we've talked before about do you limit the news do you stop watching the news and you know that whole debate has raged and everything but i think i think what i'm really finding helpful is just to realise that the news is just one little take on the world. Mm. It's just one take. And it isn't it isn't the big picture at all. Because I still think, and this sounds naive, I know, I, I still think love is by far the most dominant force in the world. 
we may say a god of love but listen because and i say that because today more kids have woken up and loved their parents more parents have loved their children and grandchildren and children have loved their grandparents and you know and friends have cared for one another and looked after each other billions more have loved today than have picked up a gun and done something terrible so that tells me love and goodness is still the dominant truth of who we are as a species but all we get fed through the media is bad news because good news like that doesn't make doesn't make the news mm. so i I do think we need to refocus on that. And it sounds naive, doesn't it? But, it, I mean, look at the beautiful day outside. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, the, the, like we said the, last week, the flowers are incredible. The water's warm. You can swim in the sea. You know, whatever it is near you, there's so much beauty and goodness going on. But it won't make the news. Only the bad stuff will. Only, mm. sh only shooting and killing and, you know, errant politicians... That's going to fill your news streams and your your alerts on your phone and all that sort of thing. Not goodness. So make sure you sort of feed your mind with the right stuff. That's what I'm saying. And actually, the more I do that, the less sort of anxious and depressed I feel about the world, really. Yeah, I think that's helpful. I mean, you know, what what can you do? These are big issues and you know, there's not much I can do to affect the, the reins of power. There's some little bits that I could do, mm. to voting and things like that, but there's not much. So, you know, what can you do? You can only affect your kingdom, as you often yeah. talk about. Yeah. And so what can you do to help your kingdom thrive and to, and therefore help other people yeah. thrive? How can, how can you express that? Mm. Um, and it will change. All will change. You know, it... it Everything seems so huge, doesn't it? Because it's so magnified by the by the media and by you know yes. social media and everything. So everything seems every event seems so cataclysmic, so massive. But human beings have lived through lots of events. Exactly, and it comes around, isn't that that Ecclesiastes thing? There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, you know, mm, politicians yeah, yeah. come and go, governments come and go, all that sort of stuff. It's, there's nothing yeah. unusual going on in that sense. Yeah. Mm. But um, love is always a good choice. So thank you for reminding us of that. That's great. And human beings are good. I, I had a lovely uh, interview with uh, Reverend Richard Coles and he was talking about his role as a priest. You know, he's recently sort of, I think, stepped back uh, from sort of parish ministry. But he he talked about how he really believed in human goodness and he saw his view as a priest as just uh, lightly organising it. <laughs> That was his phrase, <laughs> lightly organising the human goodness human in his goodness. community. Isn't that beautiful? That's I, I lovely. That's great. Well done, Richard Coles. We love you. Yeah. Mm. How fantastic. Well, there we go. So, uh, well, should we have some feedback? Shall we? Um, because we could yeah. do with some content, frankly. We could, yeah. Okay, I'm just going to get this little email out the way because it hurts me. It actually physically hurts me to read this one out. Oh, okay. This is from Rhoda. I mean, I don't know why I'm even dignifying it with that name, but there you are. <laughs> he wrote in and said, Dear Joe, I do want to hear about Nick's churches, Rhoda. I mean, what kind of sick mind does that come from? Sorry, I didn't quite get that. What did she, what did she say? I do want to hear about Nick's churches. There's mm. one listener 
in the entire world of Christendom who wrote in. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I think, unlike you, I have my finger on the pulse of what the popular opinion. <laughs> you do. I, I I am who the people really want, so I think you're going to have to resign. Anyway, uh, well, thank you, Rhoda. Uh, the two churches I went to visit were uh, in Melbourne, Derbyshire, which is amazing, complete Norman church, absolutely astonishing, mm. and a church at Breeden on the Hill in Leicestershire, which uh, has the most astonishing Saxon carvings. 800 AD these carvings were made, and they're just in the walls. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Mm. So those are the two churches. I'll put some links in. We are going to talk about Nick's churches, but he's got to finish his book first. That's Speaking good of point, which, actually. How's yeah. that going? Uh, better, thank you. Oh, yes. Good. Oh, well done. Yes. Yes, a bit better. Slow, but 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 with purpose. A bit like me. No, I, you know, I am in genuinely in awe of you and your completing, finishing ways. Um, well, just, to do yes. Yes, eventually, anyway. Okay, right. Hold tight. Um, because uh, we've had an email in from Chris and he says this. Hi, Joe and Nick. I particularly enjoyed you referring to hoovering as a sacred activity in episode 200 since I was actually hoovering while listening to the podcast. That's good going in there. <laughs> I often want to know what people are doing, or perhaps I don't, while they're listening to the podcast. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then uh, he's, he's, uh, he stands up for the song My Lighthouse because you remember we had a go at lighthouses and, you no. know, where we did have a little... Well, we no, didn't have a no. go at lighthouses per se. We had a go at songs <laughs> about lighthouses that seemed to imply that you should follow a lighthouse. I've never had a go at any song on this podcast. I deny everything. And anyway, it says to follow the lighthouse doesn't mean you head straight towards it. If you're following roadsides to a town, you won't get there by driving straight at the roadside. You follow its directions and go where it leads you. Very much like following Jesus, you could say, who curiously enough is the subject of the whole lighthouse metaphor. And then he remains looking up Gold Point Light Lighthouse on Lindisfarne on Lindisfarne, mm. which guides you uh, into harbour. But here's the thing. It says my main reason for uh, writing uh, is to respond to Claire in episode 198, who asked about approaches to prayer. Late last year, my feelings about prayer became tangled in knots. I couldn't pray in silence because God felt absent. I couldn't wait for God to speak because he felt silent. I couldn't pray for others because I didn't know what they wanted prayer for. I couldn't pray for myself because I didn't know what God wanted to do in my life. I reached a point where prayer felt impossible and I gave up on it completely. And he says, over the following weeks, uh, through things I heard, read and thought about, I thought God was responding to my issues with prayer, with compassion and three simple words. Prayer is important. It felt like God understood my feelings and difficulties and was suggesting that if I too felt that prayer was important, then perhaps it was important enough to try praying anyway. It felt like a gentle invitation with no need for rules or structures and no wrong way to pray. I decided that each day when I dropped my daughter off at school, I would walk home the long way over the golf course or through the park and make that time available for God to be in it. I followed an LICC prayer journey that encouraged me to rejoice, pray and give thanks. In the time set aside, in the green spaces I walked through, and with the prayer journey prompts, I found a gentle simplicity in thanking God for what I saw, sharing with him what I felt, and enjoying his creation. Sometimes it didn't work, and that was okay too. There were no rules, so I wasn't breaking them. I found that saying thank you was a joy and a real way to connect with God. One day, the prayer journey talked about our tendency to focus on what we lack, 
I lack money, I lack company, or my own big one, I lack time. I was able to turn this around to thankfulness. Thank you, God, for giving me a job where I can use my skills, employees who value my advice, a family who like to be with me, communities where I can pursue my hobbies, beautiful countryside to explore, and a healthy body to carry me through it. It's a refocusing that was liberating for me. I wouldn't say I have a prayer life, in inverted commas, or even that I have a close relationship with God through prayer, but I do have a time and place where I know God is there and listening, and I can take pleasure in meeting with him. And he says, keep up the great work with the podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you. And that is from Chris. Uh, just a, a quick point of order yeah. at the end of that. That's a very good email. We'll come on to that. Yeah. Uh, is Chris a man or a woman? Did, did... I, did I refer to Chris as he? I did, didn't I? Well, you did. And I I, I think it's, it's a trap into which you have fallen. <laughs> yes, it? I know. Reference Sam last. Yeah. Okay, sorry, Chris. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to assume no, I don't either way. No, I don't want to assume. I'm sorry, I did assume. Uh, yeah, no, that was a mistake. Chris, whoever you are, whether you're a man or a woman, look, Jesus loves you. That's what I want you to know. <laughs> However you identify, <laughs> Chris. <laughs> Could we maybe make a request in future, given our inability <laughs> and our general ineptitude to sort of help us out on this one? <laughs> thank you for the email <laughs> i mean uh, it happens to you don't you because you get joe and joe and all. oh yes, stuff, yes, and... yes 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 anyway thank you for that very minor correction. point sorry point of order minister and uh i'm sorry that's tipped the balance for me i having to resign now from this. <laughs> yeah. anyway oh look uh i like that prayer is important that the line that um, yes, came to yeah. chris and I, this struck me really because that's absolutely the root of it, isn't it? Whatever our doubts about prayer, prayer is important. And I was kind of thinking, well, that's in a way why we do the podcast as well. It's because lots of other things are important as well. Mm. Things that we get really frustrated with church and, and worship singing and, and the yeah. scripture and all this kind of stuff. They're all actually quite important, though. Yeah, exactly. And so you've got to find a way of navigating them, I think, as as a as a follower of Jesus. And and. So that's, I think, in a sense, you know, what the podcast is about is about saying, no, actually, these things are important, yeah. even though you, what you feel about them is that actually valid and, and the real issues, you know, and not trying to deny that. Yeah, exactly. Really. And allowing space to question them. I think when they're just upheld as sacred and you've got to do it, you've got to do it because mm. I tell you I've got to do it. It's not a good reason to do it. But but we kind of have got to pray because it's something so deep and innate in who we are that. And I feel that's what Chris is mm. talking about. That you kind of just know you've got to do it, even though you yeah. don't know how. Mm. And so picking up on that idea of thankfulness as well, I think that's a really good reminder at the moment. Is Well, with all that's going on in our various democracies and places around the world, mm. you know, what can you give thanks for? You can give thanks, I would have thought, for parliamentary democracy with all its stupidities. Mm. It's It's... It allows you to change the leader if it's you don't like the leader. It's still not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You know? yeah. Whereas there would be lots of places around the world where mm. pressures to resign don't result in the leader resigning at all. You know, they yeah. result in opponents being put in jail. So, so you know, I think there's lots to give thanks for in terms of a free press, even mm. with the news things that we were talking about. We've got a free mm. press. We've got, mm. We have got that. So, yeah, a good reminder of that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for that, Chris. 
that's brilliant. Okay, so um, on to Matt. Um, and Matt says this. Uh, he says, I thought Joe was particularly good in response to Claire from New Zealand's question about finding again an awareness of God's presence. Oh, that's, I can see why you chose this email. Yeah, I know. That, thank you. Very strong start, Matt, which is why I left that bit in. <laughs> 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 anyway, Matt continues. And I, I don't know, but I think Matthew is a man. Um, uh <laughs> he says <laughs> silence is what does it for me too so some years ago i left a busy evangelical church of around 300 people and started attending quaker meetings it was a bit of a contrast as you can imagine initially i think the silence was healing i had become angry and confused and scared being in a meeting where no one was going to say anything or if they did i didn't have to agree with it was so liberating it gave me time and space to sort out my head or deconstruct as the youngsters are now calling it but it hasn't just been my head that got sorted. Over time, I've come to recognise in the silence the presence of the Jesus-shaped God I've known since childhood. And that presence is precious to me. Silence, I think, is ultimately a huge act of faith and bravery. The church I used to attend filled every moment with talk and singing. If you take all that away, you put the ball completely in God's court. You are saying it's up to you. Are you there? I'm not going to do anything but wait. In the silence, you can't pretend. Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate that. Um, mm. and I, yeah, I, there's so many great things about that. Silence is an act of bravery. I know you picked up on that. That's a... Well, I think I think that's very true. I mm. get very... We get very anxious about silence mm. uh, in our churches. We, we confuse silence with sort of inactivity we think yeah. if we're silent then nothing is happening um and he's right about you know that churches just f fill every moment I, one of the things that, that sometimes frustrates me is you know in churches is that uh you come say to the the eucharist or something and instead of us having that in silence it, the, the you know, if it, there'll be music. Got to sing something. Yeah. Got to do something. Yeah. And and if you do have a moment of silent prayer, it is a moment. Yeah. You know, because everybody starts to get a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. So I think silence does feel risky. It does feel uh, risky. And, 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 you know, I, I still feel uncomfortable with it. You know, in Soul Place, we have this little practice of lighting a candle uh, at a certain stage in the evening. And then only one person can speak at a time. And sometimes... There is silence and it's very tempting for the extroverts of the group mm. who can't handle, you know, a whole minute of silence to want to then jump in. But the, the point is you can only speak once. So if you've had your go, you can't. And it's, it's just a really helpful tool. And I remember at Breakfast Church as well, we'd once, uh, so obviously the idea of breakfast church and you'd be surprised to hear that I developed this because you had breakfast. <laughs> Gosh, I can't see why you'd like that. But it was it was, <laughs> it was extraordinary doing it in silence once. We were going to do this whole session on silence. So we ate in silence together and it sounds horrific to someone like me. Oh, what a mm. terrible... But it had the effect of levelling the playing field. Suddenly you didn't know who the extroverts and who the introverts were. Mm. They were just people, all of equal status. No one was dominating the conversation on a table. No one was speaking and not allowing others to speak or impressing us with their 
you know, knowledge. There was just science and it felt it felt strangely powerful to hold that space together. We only did it once. I don't know why, because it was it felt really good. Hmm. It is an interesting thing, because even in relationships, if you're sitting with somebody, hmm. it's silence can be uncomfortable. We're not used to it, really. Yeah. In the best relationships, it's fine. You know, you Friends just sit can there do and that. you're just quiet. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I had experience of that a lot this year with various friends and things like that. Um, and, and it's okay to just sit there in quiet. But our culture, our particular culture, doesn't really, um, you yeah. know, it doesn't really know how to handle it. Um, yeah, like I said, I think it just confuses it with lack of productivity, you know. I couldn't help noticing when I came to stay with you that there was lots of silence. In fact, mm. you felt so free as to fall asleep, I seem to recall, in that silence. Yes. So I, was... I find it's a very profound moment. It's the way to add some depth to our conversation is to actually <laughs> sleep during it. But it is. I think it's true. Silence is brave. It yeah. is risky. It's brave because it's brave it makes us feel uncomfortable. It's also brave because our thoughts suddenly become very loud. And yeah. we're aware of all that. And yeah. uh, I think that's really important. That's that's why we often recommend silence and solitude, mm. actually, because it is, it's quite a brave thing to do, really. Well, it's not distracting yourself with noise. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Great. OK, shall we move on? Yes, indeed. OK, so Nancy uh, wrote in. I think Nancy is identifying as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> have I made you paranoid? Yes, you oh, have. Sorry, I didn't mean to make you paranoid. Okay, so, uh, so Nancy said greetings uh, from across the pond. And she says, I have a unique question. Do hermits have a place in this world? I ask because I work with a spiritual director and more than once I've had this urge when asked, what do you want to do? And in a voice says, be a hermit. Right away, I have to discount the idea myself. I'm married and primary wage earner. I live in a large metroplex and work involves 4,000 other staff with daily two-hour commute. I'm a stone's throw away from retirement, but the house isn't paid off. Science has proven that being in community is healthier. Minds stay more alert with conversation and interaction. Obviously, I can't be a hermit. Hermits either have an antisocial association or viewed as swarmies with answers to life's deepest questions. I wouldn't say I totally hate people, but I am an introvert with a capital I, nine Enneagram for extra isolation patterns. Years ago, when asked to envision heaven, mine was a wide covered porch with an expansive pastoral view. Then someone in the group eagerly shared their, their views, was being surrounded by family. Oops, my happy mirage got a should jolt when I realised I hadn't pictured anyone else on the porch. Shouldn't <laughs> I want my family around? As for having answers, I can barely define what I want for dinner, much less uh, share life's deepest questions. How can I make the Frederick Buchner quote apply to my situation? The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. A variation mm. of hermit is hermitage, which could mean a retreat centre. An easy resolution seemed to plan to attend more retreats, but I don't see how that meets the world's deep hunger, just my own. I do keep returning to the conflict of isolation and the tactile need for another's touch. My ideal wide porch with a view has space for extra rockers, as long as I'm not expected to cook. Or is there a need for senior citizen communes with hippie overtones? 
can Hermit be reframed or renamed to be more palatable for social conventions? Contemplative seems too easy, she says. Excellent. Yeah. Now that there's is such it. a good question. Uh, and think about hermits. And, um, and I must admit, as I was listening to that, I was thinking, well, it is tempting, isn't it, at the moment? To sort <laughs> of t- not to- Hermits, I guess, don't have to listen to the news. Or no, I guess they don't have a telly. Yeah. No. Um, so I, I, I think I would want to start with maybe thinking about what we mean by hermit, really. Mm. Because... Obviously, it comes from a particular strand of religious tradition. Um, in in monastic tradition, you have two types of monks. Mm. You have what's called the Cenobites. Oh, good uh, word. And that means, that comes from, I think it comes from the Greek word for bee, which means in a, living, as it were, in a hive together. So all they're all living oh. together in a community. Or you have the, what are called the Eremitical, from the word for desert, Eremos, which we turned into hermit, and they're living off in the desert on their own. And those two strands of monastic tradition, mm. you know, give us this this two ways of doing it, you know, living in community or living as a hermit. But I think even the hermits were connected to the community. They were still part of the the community. So I, I think of somebody like, um, well, do you know Sister Wendy, uh, uh, the yeah. art critic? The you know, amazing. Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, like. She's dead now, but she's an amazing woman. Well, she was a hermit. She lived oh, in a she? yeah. She lived in a caravan and just prayed all the time. And then she would come out and she would write articles, come out and make television programs, which were amazing. Yeah, they and, were. I remember. And and go back into her hermitage. But even in her hermitage, she would come and attend the services of the church uh, oh. of the community every day necessarily speak to people so there was still mm. i think some kind of sense of contributing to the community of contributing to the world of of speaking out yeah and and even the hermits of sort of ancient the desert fathers were seen as people to to whom others could go for advice others could go and mm. find things you know so they were still connected i think to the world so i don't think it means just sort of cutting yourself off in that sense right it's about getting rid of the distractions so that you pray I think that's what it really that means. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought you'd probably know this stuff. You've probably written about it, knowing you. Well, yeah. no, I think the thing is I'm quite tempted. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> You want to be a hermit. Yeah. This is it. I could quite easily sort of cut myself off. Then I was thinking about what Nancy's that quote from uh, Frederick uh, Beekner, it's pronounced. Beekner, um, is it? Yeah, oh, apparently. I called him Beekner. Oh, no. I know. It's like Henry Nouwen. Yeah. Everybody says Henri Nouwen. Anyway, yeah. I think it's Frederick Beekner, which is really okay. odd anyway. Okay. What is the, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's a, it's a great quote. It's quite frightening, mm. though, in a way, isn't it? Mm. Because I think it would lead, I don't know how you feel about it, it would lead you to think, well, gosh, you know, how do I solve the world's yes, exactly. yeah. deep hunger? Mm. Um so I wonder whether, in fact, we sort of bring that down a bit and say, well, actually, you know, how do any of us solve the world's deep hunger? It is by, you know, becoming the person we're supposed to be and by sharing that with the world as best we can. It doesn't mean living entirely in the world or living, you know, yeah. spending every every hour in sort of service of that, that kind. I don't think it mm. does. 
I think it's just that each of us have a bit of the world that who are we encounter who are hungry and we can maybe help them. I don't know. Yeah, no. And I was just thinking, yeah, one mouth at a time. I mean, you know, I mm. guess for someone who is very sort of just introverted, you know, the idea that God wants you to go and become a itinerant speaker, constantly meeting with thousands of people would be horrible. Yes. And also very mean of God. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like it's back to that old evangelical thing if if you enjoy it god's obviously disapproving of you yeah, yes <laughs> yes it's, it's something about that so i like the quote because it seems to be saying connecting um your own sense of deep gladness with serving the world so finding out what that means for the person who wants to be a hermit is, it, uh, is what, what I'm hearing you say is that it's not cutting yourself off from the world. It's, but it is devoting most of your life over to silence, and serving those who come your way. I, I think that's right. I think that, you know, we have a mistake about the desert dwellers, for example, that they mm. were distant, physically distant. Uh, there's a famous one, a guy um, called Simon Stylites. Or Simon Stylites, I don't know, can't remember. Really? Can't that remember. sounds like a, his Eurovision name. His Eurovision, yeah, indeed. Mm. Well, he had a kind of Eurovision act because he lived on the top of a pillar. He was <laughs> a pillar go. dweller. Yes, there you are. So he was a monk and he'd, he'd cut himself off and he would lived on the top of this enormous pillar where they would <laughs> sort of hoist up bread to him. And I think he had some rather intricate toilet arrangements, they say. But anyway, but the point was, actually, people would come to hear him. People right. would come and ask him questions. He'd sort of shout down at them or give a little talk or something. Speak up. So, Can't hear so you. He wasn't, he wasn't out of the way. He was he was up a pillar in a major place. So there's, I suppose it's about the it's about the what you do with the hermit life, isn't it? That hermit hermits become hermits like Sister Wendy in order to devote herself to prayer. Mm. That was what she did. Um, but that through that prayer, it resourced her to actually connect with the world, and I think to do something mm. about people's deep hunger, particularly for spirituality, for 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 beauty, and for all those kinds of things. Mm. So yeah, I, I I think it's a fascinating question. It is it's the constant thing, though, isn't it? Whenever we feel like you're right, you know that thing about indulging ourselves seems to be at the back of our mind the whole time think about it. i i enjoy doing this mm. so it must be wrong you know and and it, you translate it into the spiritual life as well yeah exactly yeah definitely so so we need to finish because clearly we've been going on for a long time um there's there's been lots here there's there's been encouragements to pray even though you don't know how to there's been encouragements to give thanks i think that's a I think that's probably a big one. Mm. You know, I am not a journaler, but my lovely wife is. And she does this thing every day where she's grateful for three things from the previous day. And then she writes them down. And then she does all sorts of art and colouring and stuff around them because that's the mm. kind of person she is. And uh, it's a very beautiful thing. And she ends up with this colossal sort of picture of thankfulness. So, you know, if that's your kind of thing, I'd encourage you to do that. I I personally don't have the discipline, but I do have the discipline to think of three things that I'm grateful for. Mm. So um, I think that that does help keep us on a fairly even keel through uncertain times. And then there's the encouragement to silence 
as well, yeah. which we've had mm. in several of them. Um, you know, it, it maybe not to the extent of becoming a hermit. Perhaps <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> but I you can't you know a bit a touch of uh, occasional hermitage can't can't be a bad yeah. thing. I don't think. Oh, exactly. So there you go. Let us know what you think about that and think about other things um, that have come up on previous shows. Uh, we'd still love to hear from you, Joe, at midfaithcrisis.org. Uh, uh, yeah, and thank you to everyone who supports the podcast, who gives or who uh, you know writes in. Yeah, reasons to be cheerful, part three. Anyone oh, yeah. who does anything for us or anyone who recommends us to other people. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, that's great. Slowly we get up to the... High 30s of listeners yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And of course, once our popularity does start to wane, then uh, one of us will have to go. Obviously. Of course. It won't be me. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll be back next week. See you then. 